Welcome to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram, where we talk all things leadership, change, and transformation. Hello, everybody. Dr. Jen Fram here. How are you going? How's this week traveling? Better than last? Not so good? Are you breathing? I know I'm going to keep asking you that each week. And the very fact that you're on the receiving end of this podcast would suggest you are breathing, but I want to bring attention to it and make sure that you um, are being attentive to how you breathe. You know, it's really important at the moment in terms of managing your energy. So managing your energy is kind of the theme of what I wanted to talk about. Um, I've had a few conversations this week with clients, which has been to the effect of what do we do with our change programs? Do we stop them? Do we change them? Do we just push on because they need to happen? And and for me, the, the answer to this is often around a discussion of what is the business need behind this change? Is it mission critical? Um, and what is the most compassionate thing to do for your workforce? Because for the vast majority of people around us, they're experiencing, you know, a significant moment of trauma. Um, it is forced change that is uncomfortable and, you know, taking us in directions which we really don't want to be going with. And I, and I don't want to detract from the amazing stuff that's happening and the beautiful stuff that's happening, but I also want to validate that it's really quite a painful time for a lot of people, um, both in terms of the uncertainty and the having to shift the ways that we're relating to people, um, shift the ways that we're working uh, with very little preparation on that. And so that's why I think the concept of compassion is, is actually really important in weighing up what do we do with our change at the moment. And so on the topic of compassion, um, there's an interesting there's an interesting argy-bargy that's going on at the moment in the fields of compassion and empathy research. And I do appreciate there's an irony in that, that you have argy-bargy in a field of compassion and empathy. Um, for, you know, physician, heal thyself. But, it's look, it's quite interesting and it, it's not as hostile as other intellectual debates I've seen. And it particularly comes to the fore when we think about the concept of empathy or compassion fatigue, um, which can certainly be something that those who have had long careers and change experience. Um, my, I think it, when we talk about compassion fatigue or empathy fatigue, it is usually in context of uh, professional carers, social workers, counsellors, um, and, you know, I think that's typically the area that we've seen a lot of the attention drawn to. But what I've seen over the last couple of years is that those people who have worked in organisational change for 20-plus years are now finding that they're feeling quite burnt out. And I think a bit of this we can attribute to this notion of empathy or compassion fatigue. So, look, my awareness of this debate originated last year when I attended Christopher Germer and Tina Gibson's workshop on self-compassion skills. Now, in it, they addressed some recent research which suggested that when people extend empathy... <clears throat> they experience empathy as a shared pain and the parts of their brain that lights up are those parts which replicate 
the experience of physical pain. So this releases stress hormones. And because of that, those that sit in a space or hold space for empathy for a prolonged period of time, it's quite problematic. Um, it contributes to poor mental health and physical health outcomes because they're sitting with stress hormones um, for a long period of time. Compassion, however, they would argue, is a form of love. When you give or receive love, your brain creates the happy hormones. And this is infinite. You can't fatigue from, from love. And look, this made sense to me in context of people who work in change, so people who lead change. And I could see that it was better to use empathy in solution design. So, for example, what is the pain point of our customers? What is the pain point of our employees? But on a day-to-day -day basis, compassion is probably more useful. So I started using the distinction in my work and my um, the, the blog posts um, and certainly the, the talk that I used, uh, that I did on YouTube a couple of weeks ago on creating calm. And I had a couple of people come back to me on Twitter telling me I was wrong, um, that this was in contrast to years of psychological research and I'd got it wrong. Um, last week, Brené Brown on her podcast on comparative suffering posted a tile which said, empathy is not finite, you cannot exhaust empathy. <clears throat> and again, this is contradictory to what the compassion researchers say. And so on both Instagram and LinkedIn, people jumped in and said, no, it's better to be compassionate. Empathy can exhaust you. You've got it wrong. You need to look at the latest research. Um, and I watched the debate unfold. And Brene Brown pointed out that the original definition of compassion was shared suffering. So that can't be right. And you know what? I got really sad. I got really sad reading these because it was another example of where in the quest to be right, the war was being lost. And let me tell you, we are not going to win at living and working and loving through a pandemic by being an awesome right fighter. And as usually that happens whenever I get really sad or I feel a strong emotion, my brain kicks in and I try to intellectualize it because, you know, thinking is so much easier for me than feeling. And I thought back to my days as an academic and researcher, and it occurred to me that Brené Brown and the compassion researchers might both be right. We don't know what the original survey instruments were in these researches that were, you know, pieces that we're talking about. Um, and I'm sure we could find out if we really wanted to, but very few people go to that level of effort. So let me explain. Um, for research to be considered valuable, there are four tests of validity in research designs. And validity is important. It's the extent to which a measured tool measures what it's supposed to measure. So the four types of validity that we're interested in are um, face validity. So does the indicator obviously measure the concept? Is it a sensible indicator? Content validity. So does the indicator cover the entire range of the meaning of the concept? So is it a multidimensional concept? Um, construct validity. So does the indicator related to other indicators as specified by the literature? So is there consistency with what other people have said about it? And then criterion or predictive validity. So if the concept is supposed to predict a future event, then does the indicator predict that same future event accurately? So there's a heck of a lot of work that goes on to ensure that the survey instrument you use to research the topic 
stacks up on this. Equally, as academics, there is a heck of a lot of work that goes into proving that other people are invalid. You know, it's often a pretty petty world. Um, face validity is the area I think that we might be tripping up on in our arguments about compassion and empathy researchers. To know if either are valid, you need to know how did they define empathy and how did they define compassion? Now, under traditional psychology um, models, empathy is made up of two constructs, compassion and empathetic or empathic, sorry, concern, which is the pain. Um, so under a traditional model, empathy is multidimensional. It already addresses the love and the pain. And if the empathy researchers have used a definition which looks like what the compassion researchers have used, then they're both right. But as I said, the point is mute. Right fighting won't get us through the pandemic. Further, and I think this is really important to think about because this is why I think oh, we're, losing, we're losing the war by trotting this research out. There is only a tiny percentage of people in the world at risk of compassion or empathy fatigue. The vast majority of people underplay the practice of empathy and compassion and so should not be concerned. Right, so when we talked about carers, social workers, really experienced changed people, that's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people in the world. 99.8% of the people in the world greatly underplay the practice of empathy and compassion. So I think for me this boils down in how do we manage our energy? And if your version of practising empathy feels expansive and infinite, go hard, double down on it. If your version of compassion feels expansive and infinite, that's brilliant. You too, go hard. Love wins. It's that simple. Don't let a debate on which is more finite and which is not going to get in the way, you know, which, which is more not finite and which is not, get in the way of you practising being kind, more considerate, more compassionate and more emotionally aware of the other. And my pro tip at the moment, start showing that compassion, that empathy, that loving kindness to yourself first. I promise it will be the best thing that you do. I wish you well, folks. I'll see you next week on the podcast. You've been listening to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram. You can find many more resources on leading change at my website, drjenfram.com. I welcome feedback on what else you'd like to hear on the podcast. Why not connect with me on Twitter at Jen Fram or LinkedIn? 